All right, let's get going. So uh, I think we have a few announcements. We'll start with Sean. Sean, you can make your announcement. Hello, good morning. Hey, I'll be quick. So at DNC, we have a particular passion for ministering to college students and helping them transition out of college into the working world. So we're starting a new DNC slash focus mentorship mentorship. So basically, it's just going to be our church member adults out of college um, meeting with focused students, maybe like once a month, whatever you and your mentee mentor decide to do. Um, so I'm going to put the link in the chat, but I'll, well, actually, I'll just post it on the Facebook page. Um, but the link was also messaged to the newsletter. Um, but yeah, so our main goal is just to connect our students with our adults in a one-on-one setting to facilitate growing our community relations and sharing life together. So yeah, I was reading a script if you didn't like it. Um, so yeah, so November 7th is going to be our last day to sign up for a uh, mentor and mentee. So this is for both the mentors to sign up and for the mentees. So if you have any questions, just reach out to me. So this is primarily non-college uh, mentors and college mentees, correct? Correct. I hate the word mentee. It always makes me think of manatee. And it's for our college mentor, out of college mentors and our college manatees. Yes, college manatees. Okay, um, does, does Focus have any announcements uh, that they need to make for this week? No, nothing? Okay, great. Um, well, I will start with a prayer and then actually what I'd like to do this morning since we actually have a, an easier opportunity to do so is if any of you guys have your um, sharing from the worship activity, we can share some of those, which would be great. And we'll probably start and end with that. So if you have something that you've done and you would share it, that would be excellent. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll start and, like I said, end with that. Okay. God be with us as we gather in your name to worship you and to um, just hear what you have to say to us. Uh, pray that you would uh, move your spirit to encourage, to put on our hearts things that you want to challenge us with, uh, to share with each other. Um, and uh, you would just join us together as a community uh, of different people, with different experiences, and uh, that we would really honor you um, and your body. Amen. Okay, does anybody have anything that they would like to share from the worship activity that we have been talking about the last few weeks? So I was wondering if it'd be possible for you to like put the worship activity in the chat because I've been lost the last couple weeks. Yeah, it's probably better to put it, well, we've had it in the newsletter. Um, so that's a good, you know, uh, if you don't have the newsletter and you're getting the newsletter, sign up for that. So maybe that would be a better way to do it. Plus it'd be pretty hard to do it in the moment. Um, but the general idea is that we're really rethinking worship. We're taking an opportunity, not being able to sing, um, to actually do what we've wanted to do, I think, as a church for a long time and change how uh, we practice and think about worship. And there's a really good kind of overview of what the worship team has come up with about two or three sermons ago, I think. I can't remember what the title is, but half of the sermon we 
talked with how Jesus dealt with opposition. The other half, we outlined how we want to do worship moving forward and what we what role you have. And the week after that, or actually that week, we assigned the activity, which was pretty simple. And that was just simply find something meaningful to you. Uh, it could be really anything, uh, but particularly something meaningful for how you view God. And basically start with, what does this tell you about the heart of God? Or what do you draw from it about the heart of God? Uh, what might God be talking specifically to you about? What might he be saying? And then take time to respond to that at the end, either responding to just the heart of God, responding to um, what he's said to you or might be saying to you or the community. So it's a fairly simple activity, uh, really opens up you to be able to kind of do whatever you want. And we gave the pro tip last time of think, feel, and will, which is just a way of kind of balancing out how you view and think about worship that it ought to be something over time, not necessarily in the moment that you are able to engage your mind and really thinking about things in a new way, engage your heart and really feeling uh, things, not necessarily in a new way, but really feeling. Some of us who are just sort of wrapped up in our brains often miss the opportunity to feel God's presence and kind of get to a place where we are feeling something, sometimes that sadness, um, because God is sad often. And, um, and then the last one is just willing, you know, being able to actually overcome what you think, what you feel, and worship God anyway. Um, the point of willing yourself to worship is that God is who he is every day, will continue to be who he is, he is who he has been, <laughs> he will continue to fulfill his promises, and therefore he's worthy of worship, whether we uh, feel worship in the particular moment or not. So, yeah. So that's kind of the activity. So I'm guessing that nobody has one, or maybe you'll I'll, just I'll share. Okay, please. Um, so my name's Kevin. If there's anyone who doesn't know me, this is Willow. Um, I so it, you know I think too partly just this time of year uh, kind of dovetails into this kind of part of me, which is is that I experience God like most intensely, or uh, just kind of like it seems to be easiest for me to engage with him on any level, prayer, worship, anything outside. I, I very much, I grew up out in the woods without TV. And so nature has kind of like always been where I sense kind of the strongest, most palpable connection to him. And so too, it's been beautiful too with the changing weather um, and uh, just kind of those things coming together. There have been a couple of times where I've been outside playing or swinging with Willow or something or working or doing something and just being out there um, kind of doing this exercise. I have really just been considering and, and thinking about how full of life God is. And, you know, like what does that reveal about the heart of God? If you just look around, this life is just, it, it's, it's, it's incredibly aggressive it's just aggressively overwhelmingly bursting forth from everything you know there are just so many places that seem uninhabitable and inhospitable here on earth and if you look close enough you can usually find some sort of life um not to mention the places that are more nurturing and more supportive of life already are just over overwhelmingly full of plants or animals or people um and uh that just you know that Kind of, it kind of reminded me of just that part of God, that God, like, originally what he did. This is a 
It's a sandwich. It's a napkin sandwich. It's very good. And uh, he created life, you know, and, and told us to create life as well. Um, and so that, I, my response to that was, uh, yeah, yeah. is that yummy? Yeah, mm, it is. So um, that, you know, that made me feel just really good that like that's the default on Switch is just life that in, in my life, he can create new life too. Okay. And in my life, he can create life through Jesus came so we have life and have it to the full. And that's just kind of a theme. Uh, and that's really exciting and refreshing um, and brings me a lot of joy. I just like, that's the feeling I get. I just, I'm overjoyed um, that that is my God. And so my response to that was just to praise him. And that was just very natural. I didn't think about, I'm almost done talking to everybody. Um, I didn't think about what I should do. It was just, that was very natural to just praise the being who made that and who made that who it is, who is full of life. So that's mine. Anybody else want to go? Yeah, I can go. Um, so for me, what uh, has been meaningful is cooking and eating. Uh, so when I think about eating, uh, I think about like home cooked meals. My brother and I, our bond is really strong over like barbecuing and eating and Chinese five spice and all these different things. And um, I just think about how sweet that relationship is and how it's really bonded over like cooking and eating and, and things like that. And when I think about that, what it makes me think about the heart of God is that car, God cares about sustaining us. And it's not only, you know, just so that we can live, just, you know, just to keep on going, like plants get the sun, but of all the ways it could have been done, he decided to give us taste buds to enjoy what we eat um, and to enjoy the flavors and savor um, what sustains us. And I think that's really cool. Um, and what that kind of says to me is, or like, I guess like a way that we can reflect that is like cook and like cook for other people, share meals. Um, and I don't know if I saw Rita, Rita might be on here, but something sweet that she shared in our small group was that her and her husband will like intentionally take time to cook a meal and just spend that time to eat it together and just pause and just slow down. So I thought that was really cool. I'll go next. Um, mine have been a lot about media, which probably says that I just consume way too much media more than anything. But um, Sean and I recently started uh, watching Korean dramas and they're really, really good. Um, if you haven't gotten the Korean drama um, bandwagon, do it. But the last one that we watched was Prison Playbook. It was just this really, really sweet story of guys in prison. And there were so many episodes where I cried. And um, the last two were really good. And there was one, one of my favorite characters, he was in jail for drugs. And the moment he got out, he began using again. And I just felt so sad for him. And that just reminded me like, that's like, that's me investing in, in one character in 13, 14 episodes only imagining how much sadness God feels for us as his children. Um, that one was really powerful. Then there was just all of the characters were really great, but there was another one. So it was Minchu. 
he was in prison for murder for 22 years and he didn't get parole even though he had been like a great um just had all of the things to get parole like he just didn't get it and he like broke down crying and all of his friends were crying and Sean and I are crying because he didn't get parole I wasn't crying he was definitely crying um and he goes to church and it's been just kind of assumed that he's Christian the whole time because every now and then he'll have a bible with him it's never been said it's all in Korean he just has a bible with him and he goes to jail and praises God and just says like I have all the blessings I can have like thank you I can last however long in jail because I'm doing so good and it was just really heartfelt to see these characters um have so many character characteristics of God and I know it's just a show but it was just really really good and it made me cry a lot so I wanted to share about it I'd love to share real quick um so something that I've been paying attention to a lot more recently um, has been the idea of, of God's sheep knowing his voice. Um, and so I've been being, I have been very careful about what I'm listening to and uh, discerning whether what I'm hearing is God's voice. And through this exercise, I feel that I have come to experience God's heart in a really neat way because whenever I work at a bank and so I interact with with a lot of people day to day when when I'm with customers and clients and whatnot and something I've been a lot more bold in in doing is being quick to like say a blessing over them or to ask if there's anything I can pray over them and whenever somebody is a believer um or you know follows Jesus, they uh, will quickly say like, oh yeah, I, I love God too. And I have been connecting with people so much more uh, during my work day. And I've been finding such a joy and such a peace in a time wherein right now there's just a lot of um, division and a lot of tension. God, God's voice has just been telling me that, um, that he created um, us to, to love one another, to build one another up. Like he created it um, us to be with each other. And whenever we, we listen to, to God's voice, he makes it clear, um, what he has been making it clear to me, what his intentions are, um, and just how good he is at putting us together and allowing us to love one another. But it also makes it very clear what's not his voice and God's voice does not create, you know, divisiveness or manipulation. Um, God's um, God created, um, us to be yeah, unified and to be loving one another. So experiencing that with people, um, has just really allowed me to, to hear God's voice, to be quick to discern as to what I'm listening to. Um, and it has also allowed me to experience God's body all over the, um, I guess the city and yeah, it's just been really sweet, really cool. I think God's heart has been bringing me a lot of peace at work. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. So we'll have some more at the end uh, for you guys to share if you'd like to. We put the prompt over in the right. Um, and uh, I think, you know, just these this morning show kind of what we're working towards is to be able to worship God as a book that um, some of the worship team read in part um, talks about gathered and scattered. You know, it's kind of one of our goals is to figure out what does it look like to worship both when we're together and when we're scattered out among other people. 
that it's you know doesn't it's not like preaching um where or, or it, it currently doesn't serve the purpose that preaching does now we tend to think of worship as a event a, a formal thing that we do um, but if we thought about preaching like that it would be pretty ineffective um, so what does it look like to really uh, do worship uh, worship god throughout your day and uh, throughout your week and so that's what this activity is geared towards towards doing so yeah, I want to pray for that and then move on into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Lord, just continue to open up our hearts and minds uh, to um, both responding to the things that we see in our world uh, and see in our lives that we can worship you in and intentionally worshiping you um, when um, it doesn't seem normal or natural. Uh, just give us a new sense of uh, what worship can look like in our time. Amen. So we're continuing on our series. Uh, we have moved on from who is Jesus to who is the community. All right. And so Leslie kicked us off last week talking, I think, pretty comprehensively about the community and what it's for and why we do it. And my two questions this week that, remember, come again directly from you guys is why do community this way? versus like something else. And so how is it supposed to look different than what is sort of natural in societal communities? So kind of taking on both of these questions and trying to make sense of them. So I've lived in the ranch for about nine years. All right, I've been here for a while. And within the last week, I have taken out two of my neighbor's mailboxes. All right, I'm, I'm talking totally took them out, all right? One was late at night, I got stuck in his driveway and a, just a sweet passerby helped me out of the situation, which was a little bit humbling because he was like, oh, you're the trailer guy uh, around here. And I'm like, yes, I am. And I will build you a trailer and then you know, quickly and promptly put it in a ditch for you. Uh, so that was, that was humbling. And then the other time, I, both times I knocked it out with the trailer, just not paying attention. Now, you gotta know my neighbors, Paul, and Kevin are both 160, one's in his 80s. These are not guys that naturally would take taking out their mailboxes as uh, they just wouldn't take it in stride. <laughs> I got a little bit of a message uh, from um, Paul thinking that it was one of my um, people who worked for me and I had to admit that it was me. <laughs> and, uh, and Kevin actually witnessed me doing it. So that was, that was even more fun. Um, but what's interesting is I did not have to make amends for it. All right. I did not have to redo it, even though I asked them both if I could, you know, uh, do their mailboxes. They were very, very quick to put up their mailboxes back and not because they're really necessarily nice people, although I think they're both really nice people, but because we've developed a friendship over the years that sort of like, it was just not a big deal for me to have done that. There's plenty in the sort of bank, neighbor bank, kind of like love bank, uh, that made it clear to them that this was something they could handle on their own. I've done a lot of things for them. It's gone back and forth. We talked about this a long time ago in this really weird anthropological term of kinship reciprocity, uh, which is where people generally have concentric circles of friendship and you know, it goes from family who you don't really care if they do anything for you. You're still going to do something for them because you just feel like you've got to do it. 
to outsiders who you feel no reason to do anything for um, because they've not done anything for you. The point is that most relationships are sort of quid pro quo. You know, they're tit for tat. My wife and I have a constant saying in our marriage that we don't do tit for tat. <laughs> and most of the time, that's when one of us wants the other person to do something. And then we start to kind of say, but I did this for you. It's usually at night and I'm already in bed and I'm really tired and I want water. And it's like technically my turn to go get water for us both. But I'm like, but I did this. And she goes, remember, we don't do tit for tat. Um, so yeah, the tit for tat thing. So in this case, it's, it's sort of like a tit for tat. I mean, we're friends. I've done things for them. They've done things for me. Uh, by the way, I did not initiate that relationship. I am not good at meeting my neighbors. Aaron and Grant initiated that relationship when they, very oddly to me, decided they were going to bake them cookies and take them to them. Uh, for two young men in an old community to go bake cookies for older people, I'm, who knows what was going on in their head. But hey, that initiated a wonderful relationship with my neighbors that I still have. I'm very close. We talk uh, pretty frequently, do things for each other pretty frequently. I mention all that just to say that um, most relationships in our world are tit-for-tat relationships. Uh, with the exception of family, that, that we can't get away with that much, but you know, some of the worst forms of family are tit-for-tat families. But even a lot of friendships are kind of quid pro quo. They're, you do something for me, I do something for you. What is so powerful about community is it has nothing to do with that. The basis for community is not quid pro quo. But it's not family either. It's not the sense that we owe people something and we're going to irrationally be there for them and help them even though they're awful to us. And we have these sort of two, if you read the article about the four loves from C.S. Lewis, you kind of have this spectrum of like Eros and Storge on one side where you've got this deep affection. It doesn't make much sense. It might be an infatuation. It might be a deep sense of I need to help this person even though they don't help themselves. To the other side of sort of friendship and phileo uh, love, which while important, is still and has an aspect to it that's kind of quid pro quo. Uh, I do this because we've made this commitment together and we're friends. And C.S. Lewis in this article talks about how agape love is really the core love of community. It's a selfless, sacrificial love that is has nothing to do, it's not connected at all with what someone has done for me because it's the kind of love that God has for us uh, at its most difficult point. You know, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the agape love. And so community in Christ is this sort of most difficult, most rare of loves. And if we don't understand that, if we can't get that, uh, can't get down with that, uh, then we ultimately don't really have much of a community in Christ. We ultimately just have another kind of organization that we see in the world around us. Christian community is the epitome of human relationships. God is building up us into a series and set of relationships that will continue into heaven and be the most defining relationships we have. 
That means more than marriage, more than friendship, so to speak. It is the defining uh, relationship. And even good families and good marriages, apart from communities, can only go so far because they still tend to be pretty small in their focus, pretty small in the, the circle of people who I treat a certain way. And yet community was designed by God to be a much bigger circle, uh, a much wider, back to that scattered, gathered type um, mindset for us to really treat and love people the way that God does. So Jesus in Matthew 12, 46 says something pretty challenging. When he's in, um, uh, you know, sort of at the beginning of his ministry, talking to people, someone comes up and says, hey, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And while Mary is seen as certainly a very spiritual figure and um, someone who really uh, loves God, as a mother, I think she worried about Jesus uh, getting too far out there, going too quickly, and her sort of motherly instinct often, um, I think, distracted her from um, Jesus's purpose and even, you know, God working through him. I mean, you can even see that when he was young in the temple. Why did you leave us? Jesus' response, didn't you know I'd have to be in my father's house? And so his brothers were even less uh, confident and faithful in Jesus during their lifetime. And so here they are, they're looking for Jesus. Jesus makes this statement, which seems pretty harsh, but he just says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he points to the crowd and says, you are my mother. You are my brothers. Anybody who chooses to do the will of God is my mother and are my brothers. And he really changes in that moment, although you see it throughout the Old Testament, the way we're supposed to define relationships. And you can't take some of these really negative passages about, you know, dividing father and son and, you know, brothers, uh, apart from this passage where Jesus is redefining what Christian relationship ought to look like. And this is still one of the most difficult ideas for American Christians to understand because community for them still seems sort of like a civic organization on the one hand or a cult on the other, and people can't really balance out those two extremes. But Jesus was able to do that with his disciples and eventually pull in his brother and mothers into this community, but he set up this idea of community in Christ as far more important than the familial or even the friendship relationships that we have. Because apart from community, these things cannot be fulfilled. And you get glimpses of this in the Old Testament, right? I mean, certainly Jonathan and David, um, you know, they were supposed to be part of two different clans, two different families. They had a good friendship. Naomi and Ruth, an intergenerational friendship, didn't make sense. Again, two different countries. Um, uh, you know, Paul and Timothy, the age gap was different. The experience was different. There's just a lot of differences there that community brings them together. All right. So you've got glimpses of this, but up until the Christian community, you really have nothing like this because even in the Jewish families, you had clans, right? Tribes, people who were pulled together by their ancestry, by their heritage, and they didn't even get along. Right? It's a whole reason the northern and southern kingdoms split, and then you had relative factions within that. Human history 
has been pretty much defined by nationality, your nationality, your tribe within that nationality, your clan, your family, all these things. That's just sort of the natural way of doing relationships. But Christ comes along and calls people to a much different form of relationships in community. One that bypasses all of these almost impossible divides that humans naturally can't overcome, all right? And that's the high bar of community. It's one of the main reasons why people get so upset with their Christian communities because the expectations are so high and the experiences are so low, <laughs> which part of that is um, we're human, but part of that is because we just haven't really talked about and thought about what community ought to be like, particularly in an individual society, right? Particularly where we have all kinds of opportunities to be a part of huge churches where we can you know, be basically passive or teeny tiny small churches where it's sort of groupthink and everyone has to believe the same thing. And again, being able to balance those two is really, really, really hard. All right. So Jesus comes to redefine relationships in the form of this community. You get kind of this idea. And, and uh, Leslie talked about this at Pentecost with the diaspora, which is just a a really fancy word for, for Jews who had been dispersed throughout the nations from the exile, that they would still have something kind of in common with each other because they were Jewish, whether they were Greek, whether they were, you know, this location, that location spoke this language. The idea of Pentecost was the spirit reminding people that they're a community, not the kind of community at Babel, which was the opposite of the right community, because we try to, you know, diminish our differences, but this was a kind of community where we're encouraging, embracing the differences, and recognizing that Jesus has the ability to keep us tied together through unity, irregardless of all the various differences that we have. And so community is a really big thing. It's a really important thing. So let me ask, answer these two questions. Uh, why community this way versus something else? Okay. And then, uh, you know, how it's supposed to look different than what is natural in societal structures. I've already kind of alluded to some of this, but I want to give you some practical tips and some thoughts to kind of think through. So why community this way versus uh, something else? Um, of course, it's very hard for us to think of something else, um, particularly when it's something else that we don't see around the world. I remember reading this book a long time ago. I actually can't even remember the book name now. I haven't been, I use this example in sociology a lot, but I haven't been teaching in like four years, so I can't remember. I know Kevin Spacey played the actor in this movie and it was really good. And it was like about him changing all these people in this, he was like an alien and he changes people in this, uh, you know, mental health hospital. You guys remember what the movie was? K-Pax. Yeah, K-Pax, that's right. Awesome, you to it. One of the, the crazy things about, the, about how he describes his life on KPAX is there's literally no families. You have you birth a child and everybody is responsible for raising that child. You can even move as the birth parents and your child will still be raised healthily. Like we just don't have examples of that. Um, really, I mean, sure, community raising of kids sounds great, but like there's so <laughs> that sounds so dreamy and. Uh, it doesn't make sense, right, um, to, to many of us. I mean, it'd be great because those of us who don't have great families would have had great families, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, I use that example as it's often hard for us to answer the question, why community this way versus something else? Because we've not experienced or seen the something else. 
But the way that the scripture talks about community is very much that something else. And if we don't understand that the scripture's understanding and, and definition of community is so vastly different than what we've ever seen in our, in our uh, history as people, really in any society, we won't grasp just how different this idea is. I think there's a tendency among some of us in the West to say, well, if we've just become a little bit more Eastern, if we just become a little bit more like, you know, uh, people in Asia or India, you know, treat family, then we'll really do community well. I don't think so. Community is just as important an idea for them as it is for us, all right? And this is something wholly different than anything that we've seen, uh, even historically and certainly globally. It, it's just different. It's something that only the Spirit of God can do in a group of people, okay? It's not something you wake up one morning and you decide, hey, I'm going to be a part of a community of Christ. It just doesn't work that way. It has to be at its center something that uh, the Spirit is doing. And therefore has very little to do, at least in terms of structure, with us and with our deciding we want to have a Christian community and almost everything to do with God putting together something uh, that really makes sense of, um, you know, who he is. He tells the, the disciples, which we'll get to in a moment, the apostles, that your love for one another will show people that you're really my disciples. He's saying something about community. You notice he doesn't say your marriages will show yourself to be my disciples. Your friendships will show yourself to be my disciples. He's saying your love for each other in this community where I brought you into these varied relationships, varied backgrounds, will show your love uh, for me. You show yourself, your status as my disciple. Which you might even ask the question, why does that even matter? Why would we need to show ourselves to be Jesus' disciple? Well. Part of the reason is because I think it's this kind of a side thought, but people still really love Jesus. Even in our day and age of questioning religion and questioning Christians, and some of that might be, um, you know, certainly our American history, but even if you look at global Christianity, people really like Jesus. It's, it's very hard to find someone who really thinks of Jesus as a bad guy. Um, even in, you know, atheistic agnostic circles, you can look at Jesus, unless you're just really trying hard, people really do believe uh, that Jesus was at least a good guy. That's if they actually believe he exists, but that's pretty hard not to believe, to really try hard on that one. And so Jesus is saying something even to us when it uh, comes to outreach uh, and really, you know, glorifying him that if people are going to really know that you're mine, it's going to be your love for each other. And I, I want to highlight again that this is in kind of a community context. So why community this way versus something else? One is because we have family and friends, but both of those work uh, kind of incomplete, right? Our families are, for some of us, way too big uh, or way too um, comfortable and incomplete in really showing who Christ is. Uh, our families at their best are often full of uh, affection-based relationships that really, it's hard to pull away the emotion from it. <laughs> and this is a constant struggle for us. We wonder why it is, and we, we hope so deeply that people in our families will ultimately follow Christ. And it just is so painful to us when they don't, right? And some of that's that affection, that emotion 
uh, directed towards our family that we want so badly for them um, to be a part of this. And yet the people, I don't know, who we work with 40 hours a week, we have, you know, not near as much affection toward in terms of wanting them to be, um, you know, be I don't, exposed to God. We spend way more time around people than we do our family. And yet we have this strong emotion, uh, you know, regarding our family. Well, that's God designed. I mean, it's important for us to have, right? I think it's a survival thing. But our family is often sort of too big a thing, you know, whether that's not literally too big or uh, just too hard to sort of wrap our minds around. And then friends are often too small. You know, the way we do friendship, particularly for us Americans, it's, it's just way too specific. It's way too exclusive. Marriages are the same way. Um, so neither one of these ultimately are you know, the full plan of God. We have to have friendship, sure, and we have, we have family. But those things will never be the way God intended them to be apart from a community. The community informs us on how to do friendships right and informs us how to do family right. But the community at its best makes us a better family member, makes us a better friend. And if we're in Christianity simply to get our family saved or simply to find a friend, we've really missed the point of community and the sort of depth of what it's supposed to complete. So I, I wanna give two, and I think most of us kind of have this or sort of understand it. And so I wanna move uh, through this point somewhat quickly. Um, but I do have a couple of practical encouragements and I wrote these sort of like axioms uh, so that they could be difficult to understand, <laughs> but that they might be actually memorable, all right? So be careful how much you let the comfort of your family determine how you think about the treatment of your community. All right, be careful of how much you let the comfort of your family determine how you think about the treatment of your community. The comfort of family in this sense is simply that I was taught how to do relationships from my family, whether I realize it or not. And because this is my comfort mode for doing relationships doesn't at all mean that it's how Jesus intended for me to treat my community. You know, um, my family is very headstrong, independent. Uh, I still, to this day, when people say you're yelling or someone's yelling, don't recognize what yelling is because we always sort of talk strong to each other. <laughs> uh, in my definition of yelling, it like doesn't exist <laughs> because you have to be like full vocal volume to actually technically be yelling at someone. Uh, and that's just because my families can be loud and we can be direct and it's not a bad thing. I mean, there's really great things about that. Um, but that doesn't mean that my comfort level in my family is how I have to treat the people in my community. One of the biggest and most important things about community is learning how to take those things that you, you learned and gained in your family and compare them to how the relationships in the community ought to actually work. And then bring that back. Uh, and sometimes that can be kind of challenging. So be careful how much you let the comfort of your family determine how you think about the treatment of your community. The second one is if your friends fit well with you, you aren't participating much in a community and you certainly don't have a neighbor. Okay, if your friends fit well with you, you aren't participating much in a community and you certainly don't have a neighbor. Okay. Friends fit well with you. When we do friendship based on convenience, simple common values, uh, I feel comfortable around this person. That's not really community. 
Okay. Idea of community is certainly that you'll find people that fit with you, but the vast majority of them uh, won't. And that you love them all the same, simply because God loves them all the same. And because through community, we often get challenged, kind of like in our families, to do life differently. So if your friends fit well with you, you aren't participating much in a community, and you certainly don't have a neighbor. The whole idea of neighbor in scripture was someone that you can't control being around. <laughs> it, was, it was someone next to you that you didn't choose that that person was going to be next to you. And when Jesus highlights treating neighbors or loving our neighbors, he's not just talking about, you know, people in our close kind of, uh, you know, uh, areas, those kinds of things. He's talking literally about people who are, we don't have any choice in being around them. Um, now, I'm not trying to necessarily say that in the context of community because we have some choice here. But for the vast majority of people who are here, it's not like we've chosen them to be here. We can choose to be a part of a community. But when Jesus is asked, who is your neighbor? What famous story does he give? Right? You know, the Samaritan, the person who's least like the person who he helps. So if your friends fit really well with you, you aren't participating much in the community, and you certainly don't have a neighbor, which just means you're really not doing what Jesus asked us to do. And it's so hard, I think, as we grow into adulthood um, to be able to really be around or choose to be around people who are very different than us. Um, but that's part of what the excitement about the community is. And unfortunately, what most people do in most churches is find their niche. I'm in the redneck group. I'm in the, you know, I don't know, artsy singing group. You guys get the point, right? is they'll find, and that's the part that, that's so difficult about large churches, is that you find some group among people who you're kind of automatically alike. I'm in the college group. Um, and don't really force yourself to have some of these really um, challenging relationships that we see in the scripture. All right, so the second one, how is it supposed to look different than what is natural in society? Well, I've already alluded to this a lot, and I'm kind of applying a framework here, but in society we have in my mind, sort of on the one hand, and I'm sorry that these are all C's, it just sort of helps me think about things when they're nice and neat. We've got clubs, committees, and civic organizations, right? They're kind of friendship type organizations. We have a purpose, um, clubs, committees, civic organizations, right? On the one hand, friendship, you know, it's sort of pretty much up to me how much I'm going to spend time with them, who I'm going to be around. It's somewhat like-minded people, but even if it's not very like-minded people, I can kind of get away from it fairly easy. <laughs> and then on the other hand, you have these communes, cults, clans that are just way too together, okay? They live life way too closely. <laughs> and we'll actually talk about this in a few weeks uh, with Leslie talking about how close should we be with each other? <laughs> because I think there's some balance here, right? And we've got churches that are a little bit too close on the one hand. They know a little bit, not so much know a little bit too much, but they, they're almost thinking as one brain. Um, Jesus doesn't talk about the church as one brain. He talks about it as one body, full, complete, with very different functions. And that's super important, uh, that we believe that a church actually comes together and isn't just a bunch of hands uh, or feet, but actually is complete as God intends the body to be. 
So what happens in both of these kinds of organizations, although some of these I, I think are more um, specific to either the one side of the clans, clubs, or communes, sorry, clubs, civic organizations, or clans on the other hand, is we, we get a lot of groupthink. And groupthink is simply the, um, the idea that we, rather than embracing different ideas, just sort of accept what everyone around us already accepts. This is a pretty common problem in small groups, uh, not small groups like religious small groups, but just small group teams. Uh, it's very hard unless someone has a very um, aggressive personality to introduce any ideas that people don't already agree with. And so what happens in small groups is they're often ineffective because all they do is just, they're sort of like a, um, I don't know, echo chamber where everyone's just echoing what everyone else already believes. And sometimes the worst small group meetings are these kinds of, of uh, what, what Willie would call okie doking, uh, where everyone just sort of okie dokes. Everyone just gets in a meeting and everyone just more or less says the same thing. and Everyone feels great and left, leaves the meeting and then realizes we didn't really accomplish or do anything of value. We just all agree with each other. <laughs> and I'm certainly not in, in advocating the idea that we should all every time come and disagree with each other because that's kind of the other <laughs> other side, other problem of this. I'm the voice. I'm the you know I'm the one dissenter because I'm smarter than everybody else. No, but in a healthy Christian community, we let the best ideas win. The collective ideas, we let the best ideas win. That's what we talked about at our leadership conference yesterday. Uh, and I know sometimes leadership conference can be a little bit boring, um, but the goal is not to fill you with all kinds of new and wonderful ideas. It's to remind you of who we are so we can take that baseline and then move beyond it. All right. Cause that way we don't have to reinvent the wheel and rethink about all these things that have already been thought about for a long time. So, or these organizations often just reinforce what everyone else already believes. The whole idea of denominationalism, uh, I think at its worst was groupthink. It just pulled people together who had all the same ideas about Christianity and or forced the people who didn't to fit into that mold. And I think, thankfully, even though it's sad that Christianity is somewhat waning in terms of uh, attendance at church in our society, it's a very good thing that denominationalism is waning. That these Christians fighting over such silly ideas um, and starting to focus on much more important ideas, I think that's actually a really good thing, a positive thing in our society. The second thing is that these organizations by nature, you know, basically are protecting themselves from outside forces. This is particularly true with cults, communes, things like that. The goal is to protect ourselves from all these negative outside forces. So much as, uh, uh, so that fundamentalists sometimes in some organizations actually believe a very heretical idea, and that's that the source of sin is in society. That's just such a non-biblical idea. The source of sin is in the human heart, and no matter how small you are and how far you are from the rest of society, sin is still there waiting to take hold of the group of people you're around. And that's often what these fundamentalist cults have failed to recognize and failed to understand, is that sin's right there with them. No matter how far they get, the Qumran community, which we found tons and tons of great documentation of the scripture, were like this. Let's all go hide in caves and be monks so that we don't have to be perverted by Greek thought. Well, sorry, you might not be perverted by Greek thought, but you'll be perverted by your own sinful thoughts. 
So you just, you know, take one evil and trade it for another. It's not going to work. Uh, so we, we try to protect ourselves from outside forces uh, when really we ought to include outside forces uh, in the one hand because we're trying to bless them. That's the whole point of this, this deal with God is that he's pulled a community out from among people to bless all of the nations. But also we want to kind of engage with those diverse viewpoints and actually try to collaborate. It's much easier as a community if we have a few ideas that we all agree on and never have to be challenged by ideas within the community or ideas without. Um, I, I hate to use this example, but sometimes some of the, the strongest ways to get people to think through their ideas and sometimes solidify their ideas, which is a tricky balance, is to actually put them in front of a whole bunch of people who don't agree with them and let them argue out their point. Now, if they're doing what guys do on the square, which is you know yell at people and tell them they're sinful, that can ultimately just reinforce their ideas simply because they're saying these outside people are mean and awful. I don't want to be anything like them. But true discussion and engagement often makes us think through the things that we believe and question, which we should be doing, is this and should this really be part of a Christian community? Third one is just power in numbers. We just feel really good being around people who are similar to us. You know, there's no better example to me than, than social media on this. Uh, that you've got comment threads now that are pretty much mostly one side. And one person gets in there and just absolutely gets torn up from the other side. So it's very rare to have <laughs> both sides engaging in conversation. Uh, I watched Epic Rap rap battle yesterday between um, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, the most recent epic rap battle. Um, you know, that, that comment section was actually pretty good. I mean, nobody really agrees with each other, but it's at least half and half disagreement agreement. That's pretty good. Uh, you should watch it. Epic rap battle. Um, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. It was pretty great. Actually, you know what? Never mind. You shouldn't watch it. It's actually really bad. Gosh, every time I recommend something, it's just not, not uh, a good thing. I'm sorry. I watch a lot of, okay. Anyway, don't watch that bad, terrible. You can watch K-Pax. K-Pax is PG-13. Yes. K-Pax. Do someone, don't let Leslie watch that. Someone make sure that Leslie does not watch that. She will judge me. Asher, uh, stop that. <laughs> hey, hey, whoa. Um, Okay, and then the last one is just self social climbing, right? Self-promotion. Um, we get into groups because we want to, particularly this works in clubs, committees, sort of organizations, where we're wanting to kind of move up. Uh, we're competing. We want to work with, uh, um, you know, a, a better position than we're already in. Versus the idea of Christian community where we're enlarging the pie, so to speak. Uh, one of the things that I learned in grad school was this idea of enlarging the pie. Often when we're negotiating with people, we want a zero-sum game. We want to win everything and they lose everything. This was my, my favorite classes ever, negotiations, when uh, the teacher pulled us up and we had to negotiate with her. And every time um, uh, the student would end up like taking everything and she would just take nothing. And she kept like trying to remind us, like, do you understand that if we negotiate this right, everybody takes away more than what they would take away <laughs> if they just so-called won. It's also what Christian community is about. We're enlarging the opportunities for everybody to be involved, not trying to promote ourselves uh, to a particular place or a particular, uh, particular position that we may or may not be fit for. So the, the advice here, practical encouragements. 
if you take advice without question, you aren't any better than those who accept any that don't accept any advice because of their questions. All right. Just think through that. If you don't take advice, what? This is really tough for me. These like uh, opposites are, I'm challenged by them. If you take advice without question, you aren't any better than those who don't accept any advice because of their questions. The idea here is that in community, we push back, we take, but we're not blindly uh, doing what someone else wants us to do, nor are we uh, never doing what someone else wants us to do. Here's another one, it's easier. Let yourself be judged by those you know, but stop judging those you don't. This is just straight out of, of 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, you know, Paul talking about the, the community outside of us. Let yourself be judged by those you know, but stop judging those you don't. Another one, if your goal is to win an argument, you've lost sight of the relationship. That's a really important one. If your goal is to win an argument, you've lost sight of the relationship. And then the last one, I think this one's pretty challenging, but uh, I just want to mention it. Change yourself and you change a friend. Try and change your friend and you'll change friends. <laughs> All right. So change yourself and you change a friend. Try and change your friend and you'll change friends. All right. Cool. So I wrote two poems. One Chelsea said was cheesy, so I'm going to read that one first. So that way you can you know, lower the bar. Um, so who is my family? My mom, my bros. I don't think, wait, are you? Yeah, sure, we agree. But do you really love, hmm, are you my family? I know I owe you, but you owe me. Is this fam? Will you be a valet to my virtues or a judge of my sins? Or will you tr truly know who I am and actually choose to be my family? That's the cheesy one. Now I'm going to write a self-reflective one. I wrote, wrote this one. This is much more like a um, here's where I'm at most days. I'm a loner. Never really had much use for friends. They're too difficult to keep, too difficult to mend. I like being alone. My ideas are the best. Why be around someone who constantly subjects you to tests? Yeah, I think I'll stay an island. Loneliness feels much better than being made into a man. After all, what's a man who needs a friend, a loser, a weakling, a human without anything to win? Right, so there are my two poems for you on this, uh, this topic. Questions, and then uh, we've gone too long a little bit today, so I want to maybe just give the opportunity for two people to do their worship. Any questions about this topic that we've covered today? Great. Got one or two people that want to do uh, their worship stuff. I've got one. <clears throat> uh, so yesterday at the leadership conference, we were talking about um, like we can't just kind of run on the fumes of Ronnie vision, Ronnie's vision as it goes further and further into the past because society is changing and we need to like respond to those changes and continue to bring God's word to it like a, a new environment. And in our small group discussion, we were talking about like you know, there's kind of the extremes, like Brad was talking about the um, Qumran community, I think it was, that just kind of ran away from Greek culture and then other people who were influenced by it too badly. So I've just kind of been thinking a lot about like, how do we put everything in its right place, bring the right things in, keep the right things out. 
And lately I've just been feeling like so exhausted of trying to think through all of that properly and just kind of overwhelmed and feeling kind of maybe a little bit hopeless about getting it right. Um, and I woke up last night, I don't know what time it was, but I just kind of woke up in the middle of the night and was just kind of thinking and stressing about it and then fell back asleep. And then <laughs> uh, this morning, a, uh, a email showed up in my inbox from Bible Gateway. They'll have like, it's called Worship in Word. Well, they'll have like an old hymn or something and then the scriptures that it's based on. Um, and this one is called A Mighty Fortress. And it's by Martin Luther, the reformer. Um, and I was just pretty struck by it and I wanted to read it. Um, so I'll try not to butcher it. And I don't really have any fully formed thoughts to share about it after I read it, but I just wanted to share it. <clears throat> so he says, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be. Christ Jesus is he. Lord Sabbath is his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his triumph, uh, his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim will, will tremble not for him. His rage he can endure, uh, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gift are ours, through him who, who with us sideth. The goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So yeah, I just wanted to share that. Thank you. One more, are we good? Oh, I've got one. Um, I've been reading recently uh, The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. And one of the main characters in there um, is uh, basically made into a slave. Um, and all of the other slaves are, basically all, all of them are going to be used as cannon fodder for this war. And none of them have any hope and they're all um, very, uh, depressed and live very um, sad and pathetic lives, honestly, and uh, just waiting for their time to die. And so this main character, he comes in with this um, this hope of life and this hope of survival, and he starts to to intentionally do things to bring joy and to um, and to befriend these. Uh, these like broken slaves. And as they start to respond to his hope of life, um, their whole community is like totally transformed and they're like, they reach out to one another, they uh, exercise and they start actually surviving more of them, more and more of them, these battles that they're being used as cannon fodder for because they have this hope of life that he brings them, this hope of survival, um, and because he unites them. And I just kind of like was reading through that and thinking about how as Christians, we have a hope of eternal life and our living God that the world often, like the world has no, that doesn't have that hope. And so I just was thinking about how powerful it is 
when we bring that hope with us, how that can totally transform um, the culture around us of, of those that we interact with and um, brings that that joy and that that's um, will to survive, that will to hope and to look for something better. Awesome. So we uh, will end from there um, and uh, we'll see you guys again. We'll do Zoom again next week and then in two weeks, if everything's good, um, we'll come back together. Um, Wait, Brad, I have a question. Yeah. Um, who's the redneck group at our church and how can I join them? <laughs> The secret group I, I meet with. I can't tell you. I can only How let a few people communicate them. How do I what? How can we go about excommunicating them? I have a different oh question. That's it's just me and Nicole Bristow, probably. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, God, you're good. And thank you for um, this, this community that we have that you've grown, that you've used. I hope us to grow up uh, to see the purpose of your community to treat it with respect, to learn uh, from each other and to really care about each other more deeply than we do. Uh, help us to move and uh, step with you and our families and our friendships and that you would continue to grow us uh, as you, uh, you see fit into the roles that you want us in and to doing the things that you want us to be doing. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.